0: It's time to roll up those joints, pack those bowls, and fire up those nails, because you're listening to Blazin' with Bobby Black on Cannabis Radio.
1: All right, what's up everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of Blazin'. We are coming to you live, recording live from the Hitman Coffee Shop in Los Angeles, California, LA's first official cannabis coffee shop. And uh, we are doing a special live uh, broadcast here today, Uh, the first of many, hopefully, here at Hitman and here for Blazin' um, uh, and here on Cannabis Radio. So um, we have a very special guest in the studio today, uh, in the coffee shop today, I should say. (laughs) He's a very well-known filmmaker in the industry, the man behind uh, American Drug War and American Drug War Two, as well as How Weed Won the West. He is originally from Austin, Texas, now living here in L.A. He's also known as the best friend of the late comedic genius Bill Hicks, and uh, he's a luminary here in the field, Mr. Kevin man. Booth. How are you, man? Good.
2: Thanks for the nice intro. Nice being here. It's cool. It's an amazing coffee shop. This place is great.
1: Yeah. So, um... I first met you, it was quite a while ago, I know it was through High Times, but I can't recall the exact um, circumstances, it was, I think it was be- right before maybe American Drug War came out?
2: I was probably in New York shooting interviews, probably for the first American Drug War, right? Is that where you were? It was probably New York, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was probably something to do with that, I'm sure I was in New York filming interviews for the first drug war, so yeah, it's like a decade.
1: Yeah, it's time flies so yeah, fast. Man. you know the older you get, it's faster it seems to go. It's crazy. And we've being, all
2: at, we've all been out this thing for a long time now. It's like ready for some change finally, right? It's crazy. Yeah,
1: and and being high doesn't doesn't help either. <laughs> <laughs> Things tend to get lost into the files of time. Uh, you know, I, I've found personally. Um, so let's. I want to start off by talking a little about you and your background and your history before we get to all that good uh, film stuff. Um, I know by seeing, by watching American Drug War, uh, I know that you grew up in Texas and you had a pretty normal, uh, you talked about your family and pretty normal, um, uh, you know, middle class kind of upbringing. Um, You mentioned uh, in the movie, your brother Kurt was someone who uh, was more involved with, uh, you know, uh, substances and stuff. Um, I was curious, when did you get turned on to cannabis? Was it through your brother Kurt? Was it with Bill later on? Uh, What was your first exposure to cannabis?
2: Well, actually, before, I have kind of a strange childhood. I was born in Connecticut, and then I lived here in Northridge uh, from the time I was three till I was nine, uh, out here in Los Angeles, Northridge. And at that time, my brother was ten years older than me, and he was taking acid, going to Doors concerts, you know, starting fights with my parents, and, you know, a lot of craziness. So I guess I was exposed to acid and... Cannabis and everything at a very very early age. Now I didn't really start smoking or trying cannabis till later in Houston, probably junior high. I think it was my sister's boyfriend was making runs to Mexico in his in his Camaro, <laughs> coming back with big brown bags full of some really really crummy Mexican stuff, as I can remember correctly. And that's probably when I started smoking.
1: Wow. Uh, we mentioned earlier uh, Bill Hicks was your childhood friend. Did you guys meet in high school? Or was it Was before that?
2: I uh, he was in ninth grade and I was in tenth grade. Yeah, we met at Stratford High School in Houston.
1: And did you guys did you guys smoke together a lot or no? No, not so much? Bill
2: was Bill was like straight straight arrow. Bill Bill wasn't a really odd kid. Which is like, I mean, I I had my different circles of friends, and I had my I guess back then we called them the heads. Right? There was like the one group of friends that the jocks were actually afraid of because my friends had guns and big cars and and yeah. sold drugs and. Some of them even robbed houses and some bad kids. And then I met Bill Hicks, who was on a whole nother level because he was like the... Like, are we allowed to curse on this show?
1: You can say whatever you want. He would
2: be like fucking with everybody hard. Like, you know, <laughs> way harder than any of, like, the, the friends that I, I consider to be, like, badasses in school. Then comes this, like, kind of nerdy guy who's, like, really fucking with, like, jocks and fucking with the teachers. And, and like, he had balls, you know what I mean? He had crazy balls, and he was funny, and he made me laugh, and so a lot of my friends back then thought I was, like, crazy for hanging out with Bill, but uh, I just, you know, I'd never met anybody like him, and before you know it, we started a rock band, and it was because my brother had played in bands that, you know, we always had a room in our house filled with instruments, bass guitars, drums, everything, and kind of like how it all launched.
1: And with the band, was that the band Year Zero?
2: No, no, Year Zero's way later. Bill wasn't in Year Zero. It was uh, Stress. Oh. Okay. So, stress. Yeah, stress. Oh, yeah. We were the first punk band. We were punk before punk. Yeah.
1: Was there? Uh, Do there any recordings of that oh, that still yeah. exist? Hell yeah. Oh Hell man, yeah. Oh, I got. There's a whole
2: stress photo album. Yes. Yeah. There's a whole. There's a whole uh, mythology of stress.
1: Oh, see, yeah. this is an aspect of you and your past I had no idea about. Oh, I'm yeah. so glad I'm learning about this. Yeah. I want to check out some of that music. Oh, yeah. So speaking of uh, the old days with uh, Bill, when you first met me and came to High Times, uh, and you found out I was a Bill Hicks fan, and back then there wasn't as many Bill Hicks fans as there are now, but uh, you hooked me up with some really cool videos, and I still uh, have them, VHS, of course. BHS, oh the old days. Uh, we got Ninja Bachelor Party, we got Sane Man, and we got On the Seventh Day in Waco. I want to talk a little yeah. about about these because these are pretty uh, pretty crazy. Um, tell um, me a I, little.
2: I, just so you know, I probably hand dubbed each one. of Super authentic.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is this is uh this is pretty amazing stuff. Uh this is like old school uh B B movie classic, like the kind of stuff that Sam Raimi was doing you know in high school and stuff and so tell us a little about this film and what inspired it and how it came together. Ninja Bachelor Party. Uh, Ninja
2: Bachelor Party, okay. Well I mean, you know, we'd wanted to make a movie for a long time. I mean actually we all wanted to make a porno movie for a long time, but we couldn't find <laughs> any girls to do it, right? So we were all watching this kung fu theater. And we decided we we're going to make a karate movie. And uh, funny story, I actually sold cocaine in order to buy my first uh, color VHS camera system. Wow. And back then, a, uh, a video camera, this is like '84, was kind of a big, you know, it was like thousands of dollars to buy a color video camera before sure. a portable one. It was big. And I bought a, a VHS color Panasonic color. Uh, and we started shooting it And we actually filmed for 10 years And then <laughs> and, and the movie had no plot It had no nothing We just kept shooting all these scenes We put it on hiatus for about 6 months And then one day Bill called And he said What if your character was addicted to Robitussin And I was like That's it That was like the missing link And so then we went And we did the entire soundtrack in 2 weeks and so we, we took ten years of filming and then we did we sat there and did like a voiceover session for two weeks with my character being addicted to Robotus and Bill playing like the good the good master and the evil master. And then and then we basically edited the whole movie upon that plot. So I should tell everybody It's so probably about a hundred hours of outtakes. Wow. Of the party. And even though the movie's twenty three minutes long, it took yeah. ten years.
1: And what's so cool about it is that there's all these different people playing different roles in the movie but all the voices are overdubbed and they're it's it's trippy
2: for me because Bill Bill plays I mean my, my actual my real mom and dad are in this movie and Bill does my mom and dad's voices through my mom and dad <laughs> so to this day it still freaks me out to watch it yeah it's
1: pretty trippy to watch all different people being voiced by Bill Hicks in different accents it's it's pretty cool
3: First of all, son, I am so disappointed in you And I'm hurting, hurting bad If my ears could bleed, they would bleed blood And I'll be there to swab them up and blame you, my son Blood would spout out of my ears like a plasma sprinkler And I would water the earth with my own dissatisfaction Good woman, speak Hold nothing back on your offspring, And On that day, the world would rise full of blood And there would be only me, an empty cockers Floating, thinking about the son that disappointed me so Ninja warrior of all the fluy, of all the hoo-la-la Must be the Robitussin talking, because this doesn't sound right to me. Son, I'm worried about you. You've been drinking that Robitussin, and your cough was 13 years ago. I rue the day that I was born that I gave you that cough syrup for which to overcome that itchiness in your throat. Little did I Uh, know that it would become uh, a way uh, of life that would spit you out of control like some kind of narcoleptic. Demon, I uh, just threw the day. Been a murder at our table this morning. A murder of all hope and dreams. What's wrong with my baby? Oh What's my wrong God. with my baby? Oh, What's wrong with my baby? So then, after that,
1: uh, we have this one, and this is more of a. Uh, this is probably, I guess, the first uh, comedy first, concert of. of yeah, his? I mean,
2: first ever. You know, I mean, I, I was filming Bill doing a lot of stand-up and all that. It, you know, he was had a lot of battles with drugs and alcohol, but it, when he went sober, suddenly. He like turned a new leaf, and uh, he was able to like headlining, and he was like doing these like you know amazing like hour long shows and or hour and a half long shows. and I so said we got to capture this, and so I was a producer at Austin Access, which is pretty pretty amazing access channel in in, in Austin Texas. And now we're going to get to Alex Jones and all this later, but this is you know this Austin Access, you know like a lot of amazing things came out of that, like Rick Linkletter, and uh, a lot of a lot of big talents came out of this. But so. I was able to check out this big camera system and bring it to the comedy club. And Back then it was all switcher, right? So we had like the three quarter inch cameras with the, with the switcher going <laughs> to one deck. You know, you had to like edit it live, right? We'll
3: do it live! Fuck it!
2: Do it live!
3: I can, I'll write it and we'll do it
2: live! Right. Fucking thing sucks! So when people watch Sane Man and they're like, why did you put these audience shots in there? You, it's like, you don't understand. Like, like, it was edited like on the fly. You know, we had that one chance that one night. And so, any uh, audience insert you see in the same, because now same Man has been released by Warner Brothers, and you know what I mean? It's like yeah. so crappy. It's like you go back and it's all this major distribution for this super homemade movie. Um, but, but I think the performance is probably one of my favorite performances. It really, it really captured like the really raw essence of Bill. Like just you know, it's it's really amazing performance. You know the problem with the war on drugs is they
3: lump all drugs together. You know what I mean? Pot and crack. <laughs> and they're not the same. Not only do I think pot should be legalized, I think it should be mandatory. <laughs> think about it. You get in traffic behind somebody. <laughs> up and smoke that It's the law Oh sorry I was taking life seriously Oh shit I'm sorry about all that noise I thought it mattered Oh shit who's hungry That'd be a nice world would not it mellow hungry fucked up people everywhere Domino's pizza trucks Passing each other on every highway parade to Domino's. <laughs> Let them get stuck in traffic. All our peaches will be free.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean about the editing on the fly. We used to do that at the Cannabis Cup in Amsterdam years ago. I was part of the video crew for a few years, and we had like a three or four camera shoot going of the live performances, and uh, and the uh, editor-in-chief, Steve Hager, who you might remember yeah, of from course high it. times. Yeah, yeah, I know Steve. Uh, he, uh, he was the guy... Directing all the traffic and on the board and doing the live mix, and you get some really beautiful stuff sometimes. And then sometimes you make some missteps, and it's like, ooh, there's no going back, right? You <laughs> yeah. got to just
2: cover it with something, right? Yeah. And, and, and in that case, you know, you got to cover it with audience shots and all that. And so, you know, it's like it's it's brutal for me when I go back and I see some of like the negative comments about the movie, like why did the director put like these audience shots over this? It's like, you yeah. know, it was guerrilla, yeah. You're just yeah, <laughs> you're tried. just doing it, yeah, yeah you know.
1: Um, so I'm a little confused, though, because you said earlier that you that you didn't smoke with Bill, that he was a straight-edge, sober guy. Okay,
2: well, we but, were jumping around in time. Okay? Yeah. So when I first met Bill in high school, I mean, he was extremely, never touched a beer. I mean, he, he wouldn't, like, touch a drop of alcohol or anything like that. He ran track. He was, like, as pure as the, the white-driven snow, as they say. I don't do drugs.
3: I want to thank management for offering. <laughs> but I said no. <laughs> when I say no, it means... How much, and can I get some more? No, it means no. I mean that, unless you're giving it away. No, it means no. Then can I
2: also get some loose to come down later? No, it means, seriously, it means no. Is the bar open? Oh, okay, no, it means... As Bill Hicks' folklore has it, I can't remember exactly what year it was, probably around, God, you know, jumping. I mean, in in high school, we're talking 70s, right? You understand, this is like 70s, right? And so Bill, I think it was probably around... 82 or something like that decided one night all of a sudden to say like I want to try alcohol and he went from no drinking to drinking like 10 shots of tequila at once and that started like the, the new different Bill Hicks of screaming on stage and, yeah it's actually kind of a famous story where he just one night he said what's a drink people drink and I was like margaritas like, people like margaritas and he's like I'll, you know, he ordered a bunch of margaritas he downed them all and went on stage wow Ended up screaming and screaming. <laughs> well, you know, because he's... A lot of his
1: most famous routines, he talks about psychedelics. He talks about weed and legalization kind of and stuff. And so that's why I was a little confused about him being straight. So once he took that step over the edge and he started... Did did he then, like, voraciously go after he everything? He tripped or? a
2: lot more than he smoked. You know, smoking yeah. marijuana, you know, just doesn't agree with everybody. People are always that's asking true. me if, Bill, if uh, Alex Jones smokes hot. And he doesn't. Um, Bill... Like, he, when he would smoke pot, he'd be like the guy that goes stand in the corner going, I'm in hell, I gotta, I gotta, what am I doing with my life, you know, and all that. But, but he would take a bag of mushrooms and go on stage <laughs> and, like, you know, I'm reading the audience's mind. And all of so a sudden, just, you know, <clears throat> marijuana didn't agree with him, but hallucinogenics did. Three
3: weeks ago, two of my friends and I went to a ranch in Fredericksburg, Texas, and took what Terrence McKenna calls a heroic dose five dried grams. Let me tell you, our third eye was squeegeed quite cleanly. Wow. And I'm glad they're against the law. You know what happened when I took them? I laid in a field of green grass for four hours going, my God... I love everything. (laughs) The heavens parted, God looked down and rained gifts of forgiveness onto my being, healing me on every level, psychically, physically, emotionally. And I realized our true nature is spirit, not body, that we are eternal beings, and God's love is unconditional, and there's nothing we can ever do to change that. It is only our illusion that we are separate from God or that we are alone. In fact, the reality is we are one with God and he loves us. Now if that isn't a hazard to this country, you see my point. How are we going to keep building nuclear weapons, you know what I mean? What's going to happen to the arms industry when we realize we're all one? It's going to fuck up the economy the economy that's fake anyway <laughs> which would be a real bummer yeah you can see why the government's cracking down
0: you're listening to blazing with bobby black on cannabis radio
1: I'd like to say a few words about our sponsors and my friends at 420 Science. I've known Matt and Gary from 420 Science for over a decade. We've spent a lot of time together at the Cannabis Cups in Amsterdam, the Doobie Awards in their hometown of Austin. They were even at my wedding. And I've always admired their integrity and how they've built 420 Science from the ground up to become the most trusted online head shop. Visit 420science.com slash podcast for an exclusive deal on pipes and more from genuine people who put their customers first. That's 420science.com slash podcast.
0: The Cannabis World of Tomorrow converges for the first ever Southeast Cannabis Conference and Expo in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, June 9th through the 11th. Register right now at SECCExpo.com. TV talk icon Montel Williams, NFL All-Stars Ricky Williams, Marvin Washington, and Kyle Turley lead some of our top-tier panels in industry information, athletics, real estate, technology, medical research, and more meet hundreds of vendors and thousands of entrepreneurs at the 2017 Southeast Cannabis Conference and Expo in Fort Lauderdale. Last minute registration is open now at SECCExpo.com.
2: The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Voober vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens.
1: So you obviously spent time with him, uh, were you on tour with him when he would go on comedy tours? Did you guys go on the road together?
2: You know, not. I mean I would go certain places with him but a lot of, yeah, actually what ended up is we, we ended up doing most of the recordings of his show in Austin and then we recorded one album in San Francisco. So at the time I was playing in another band called Year Zero so when his career started taking off then I, I had a band called Year Zero that was from other, my other high school friends and we got signed to Chrysalis Records. And so we both kind of had parallel careers going for a little while, and we, we would crisscross in various towns. Gotcha. Tell
1: me a little about Year Zero. Uh, you know, I, I've heard some, some wild stories about it.
2: Well, it was, uh, you know, back in high school, Bill and I played in Stress, and then my my other friends, Brett Ballard and Bob Riley, they played in another band, and so when Bill became a comedian, then I started playing with these other guys, and they moved to Austin, and uh we actually became pretty much like a kind of a badass kind of three-piece trio kind of, I don't know, hard rock funk band with a with a lead singer that could kind of do the, I don't know, sing like the guy from Yes or, you know, or Sting. He yeah, had like that really really wow. powerful high register kind of thing. And and, uh, and we got signed to Chrysalis Records and we got like, you know, half a million dollar record deal and the whole thing. And then the record company just destroyed us, turned us into like a pussy-fied piece of shit. politics that got it lost and then and then the guy that had signed us he's a, a huge uh, a huge record producer now um uh, had kind of a political falling out with all the brass there and because of that chrysalis dropped us and you know so does the the career of a, of a rock band <laughs> at the time bill was kind of cycling around and then bill and i started a new band called marblehead johnson Wow. Do you still play music at all? Or? A little bit. I've done soundtracks. You know, I mean, I still have a studio. You know, a recording studio in my house. Love cool. That, yeah. Cool. Well, obviously, you, you
1: you went in a slightly different direction. Instead of performing mm-hmm. music professionally, you went into filmmaking, uh, and also you produced Bill's uh, comedy albums as well. Um, and then you you went on to write uh, a book about Bill. Uh, mm-hmm. This is uh, how long after he passed did you did you write that?
2: Uh, boy, I probably spent about four years on that. Um, it came out in two thousand and five, two thousand and six. So I don't know. I probably worked on it from probably around two thousand and one to two thousand
1: and five. You know what's interesting about this book is, uh, you know, back at High Times in the old old office, uh, you know, we had to do this big office cleaning when we were moving offices, and uh, there was. You know, piles and every you know, a lot of we would get CDs and books, like lots of them, in and sometimes people would just make like a pile, like if anybody wants, come take this. And I found this book in the pile and wow. I was like immediately yeah. like, Oh my god, I gotta have this book. Who and did I grabbed I get it. That to and uh <laughs> it was for Steve, I believe it was Steve it, it, Hager. I don't know if it was oh my god. Steve Bloom, Steve Hager, I don't know, but this is actually someone else's <laughs> book. But I I'm was like, It's mine that, now. Steve. So I'm, like I'm gonna of I'm stuff. gonna have to make you re- rededicate it to me now. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, so you guys, uh, the I should mention that uh, Sacred Cow Productions is your production company mm-hmm. that you started back then, right? And you're still yep. it's still going on, same company.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. You know, it, it's kind of a funny story, and this is our little segue to the marijuana thing here, and that is. Um, Uh, For the last several years, I was working on a. I've been working on a documentary that was kind of doing an investigation of all these publicly traded marijuana companies, and kind of getting into some of the more fraudulent ones, and trying to get you know kind of like like a little bit of an American greed type story, and kind of going after it, thinking like all these publicly traded companies were bad, and then you know started realizing they weren't, and then the next thing you know it, I'm being offered a publicly traded company. And uh, and so Sacred Cow is actually going to be merging into like a a, a, a new company called Tanea, that's going to be a media company slash cannabis company. And wow! In the, you know, in the acquisitions field, and things like that—it's crazy. Cool. So yeah, it's a whole new—we're getting ready to start a whole new chapter here. Cool. All right. So you
1: mentioned that your your company is now merging into a new company into more of a cannabis media company. Um, obviously, this is something that you spent a great deal of time in your film career working on is cannabis industry documentaries. Um, it started with the first American drug war movie. Tell us a little about how that came together, what the inspiration was for that.
2: Oh uh, god, I think it was uh, film-wise it was a documentary called Grass. Do you remember that one? Yes. And that it was a big inspiration. And I saw that and I thought like well what if somebody did a movie like this but it covered like all drugs and not just marijuana, right? But it was kind of like a, a picture of the whole thing. Okay. And again, a lot of it had to do with the inspiration of my brother, and my you know, and the fact that uh, you know he he was schizophrenic, and and he basically died of a seizure from drugs that he was court ordered to take, and you know my mom and dad both like you know my mom and dad were like corporate you know drinker types you know like three martini lunch business people, and um, you know and, and so a lot of it had to do with just the hypocrisy of, of you know the government like. Calling certain things the way they're classifying drugs and, and you know and things that aren't drugs, including cigarettes, and uh, um, just thought it was time for somebody to really blow the lid off it.
1: Yeah, you call, in the movie you, you called uh, the drug war a massive deception and profit scheme. Um, I guess uh, the the biggest, the easiest way to figure out any uh, any shady stuff is to always follow the money, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely, totally. I mean, and, and it is. I mean, until this day, I mean, it's still watching world news last night some new thing about cbd is like i'm so sick of hearing the same story about cbds helping children it's like we've heard this story now a thousand times and yet people act like it's the first time oh cbds are good for like kids with uh for seizures like yeah like yeah, like, yeah we've heard that like over and over and over again and yet well schedule one though no, we can't do anything and so you know what more do you need to know that to, it's a scam it's just a scam all
1: and in American Drug War II, you, you did focus a little on children, uh, mm-hmm. especially Cash Hyde, uh, right, yeah. the boy who needed cannabis oil uh, to help, his, his was a brain tumor, right. and his family like had to break the law and, and risk all this, you know... It's a
2: crazy story, yeah, I mean, he, he was uh, in critical care, he was in a coma in the hospital, and uh, the parents basically were telling, I and mean, the doctors were telling the parents to plan a funeral... And so they they actually were sneaking the Rick Simpson oil into the hospital and injecting it into a feeding tube, unbeknownst to the hospital staff. And all of a sudden, like the kid pulls out of the coma, and everybody, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. And, and uh, Mike Hyde is like, um, no, it's cannabis. And none of them wanted to hear that.
1: Yeah. You know? that, it amazes me that even now, um, you know, Rick Simpson, who you talk about in, in your film, um, Rick Simpson is credited as being one of the first people to discover that that cannabis oil uh full spectrum cannabis oil is uh can fight cancer can help shrink tumors and and kill cancer and at first when the anecdotal evidence of that uh was mounting uh i know steve hager at high times was did an interview with rick and was was a big proponent of of getting this disseminating this information um you know, everybody was saying, "Oh, well, you know, it's anecdotal and this and that." But there have been studies, and I've seen over the past—I don't know, five, st- five to ten years—there's been a few studies, and there's there's even videos that show about how it kills and attacks the cells and stuff. And I'm amazed that not one single legitimate, like, medical organization in, in the United States has even come out and said, "You know what? Let's look into this. Let's check this out. Let's see if there's anything to it." They still go on and on with all this money for cancer research. You would think that they'd be interested in. Exploring or even looking at something that a lot of people are saying and other countries are saying, "Hey, this has value. This is legitimate."
2: But it's such a freaking nightmare. I mean, it, it, that all this comes down to the money, and, and I and I get so sick of it too. That that it's it's like someone's dying of cancer. Like, what difference does it make? You know what I mean? I guess that's why. Like right now, like, you know, like I had a dog that died of cancer and now I have like an older dog and, I'm, and I give her, uh, I'm giving her CBD and oil and all that is just a preemptive thing. And and it's like, I guess it's different with dogs, but because people don't look at dogs like I do, I, I look at dogs like people, not everybody does, but... If someone's dying, what fucking difference does it make? Like, what do you have to lose if somebody's dying? Like, I don't get it. We can't allow them understand. to get high,
1: though. We can't right, allow them I don't to understand
2: it. Like, they're going to die. Like, let's try anything. Let's try everything, right? If this worked for somebody, what what is the harm? Well, a lot of it goes to the pharmaceutical
1: industry, of course. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they're threatened by cannabis because... Because
2: everybody can grow it, and everybody can do it, and there's no way to control it. Even... even worse than liquor or tobacco or other things because it just it grows everywhere and it's just uh you know it was god's gift to us and that's why everybody's trying to stop it
1: and now that's why you see some states like new york uh who are who are actually passing medical marijuana laws and not allowing the flower so that like you you have to take a constant you have to take something that's been processed so that you have to pay someone for it some and patent. some regulated right. system, right. as opposed to just plucking something off the planet home and, and enjoy and enjoying it yourself, and not having to pay for it. It's and, all about the money.
2: And even this thing with CBDs, where <clears throat> you can buy CBDs that come from hemp now, like over the internet and everywhere, but you can't buy CBDs that come from cannabis. Yeah. But it becomes obvious to me that the CBDs that come from cannabis are way better. I mean, I've tested them, I've tried them, and, and uh, you know, having a little bit of THC in there definitely helps. Yeah. But so they're making it to where, like, oh, well, you can have the CBDs that don't work. Like, those are legal, right? But the ones that do work, yeah those are, like, we're not sure about those, right? Yeah. You
1: know? That, that's, just, that's what's been referred to as the entourage effect yeah. by some people that, you know, by isolating just the one cannabinoid, it's not as effective as the way nature kind of intended it, which was in conjunction with the other cannabinoids.
2: And just because that's what our whole medical industry comes down to. It's like if, if, if the doctors can't, just because they can't figure it out means like it's illegal. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like they can't go, well, maybe our technology or or like just our knowledge hasn't caught up to like having to understand like the, the complexity of all these cannabinoids and how they work together and just saying, well, you know, let's take a leap of faith. It works. Instead, it's like we have to be limited by this research that nobody seems to be doing yeah and
1: it's one thing if, if it was some dangerous substance but we all know that no one's ever died from cannabis so it's not like even if they were to overdose and there's nothing that's gonna I mean the worst that happens is you have a panic attack and you and you come down and you're okay
2: you know and I, I, you know, and I know the whole driving thing is, is like a thing <laughs> with people but good god I mean if I had to choose between being on the freeway with stoned people or drunk people <laughs> give me a break I mean if I'm stoned I can't even drive five miles an hour Because I'm too busy looking in the rearview mirror. I'm so paranoid. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, just, it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I think they, I saw a study, uh, it was was quite a few years ago now, but it was in England, and they did a study. They tested, gave people driving tests, sober, on alcohol, and on cannabis. And the people on cannabis scored better than the sober people because they're they paranoid. were they were being careful. Yeah. They were being <laughs> yes, super careful. Right. You know,
2: because they're checking their rearview mirror every five <laughs> seconds. That's why they're checking their speedometer so, every five seconds. Yeah, I
1: agree. You know, and and w- to the point you just made uh, before about the 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 medical industry, uh, you said in your film, uh, and I thought this was uh, interesting, uh, that Rockefeller was the one who switched the medicinal uh, the medical community from uh, a plant based one to, to a petroleum based right, one. Yeah. And can you elaborate on that a little bit?
2: I don't know that much more about it, but, um, um, yeah, I mean, and and so, but everything, if you look at how everything in in our modern-day pharmacopoeia is all petroleum-based, right? I mean, basically, we're living in in a big whale-well nightmare right now, right? I mean, it's like we're all living in a giant BP spill, the air we breathe, the, 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 the plastic we drink out of the bottles we all drink out of, and, you know, and everybody's getting cancer, go figure, right? You'll figure. Yeah, and that's and how they stay profitable.
1: Yeah, all the chemicals and preservatives and, and dyes and everything they put in food and processed food and and, and cleaning products That's another thing people don't think about. That. How did I get cancer? You know, well, you're using all these chemical cleaning products all around your house every day, and you know, and they're you know, there was one thing. One thing I saw in sixty minutes where this this uh, flooring company that does wood flooring—they were using like a formaldehyde kind of coating. And it's, it was off-gassing, all this, and people are, like, dying and getting sick, and they how would you ever know it was your floor, your course, wood floor that yeah. was killing you, you know? So that's why, you know, there's been this big movement, and my wife and I are very much, you know, we try to buy as much all-natural as we can, you know, organic and all-natural cleaning products, my wife makes her own soap, her own detergent sometimes, you know, like because it's just, uh, it's crazy. You never know what they're putting in stuff.
2: It's tricky, but then, but then you have things like your house gets termites, like what do you do? And, and you you know, it's like, there's just things that happen in life where you're like, damn, you know, and, and, uh, you know. That's true. It's, uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Well,
1: we're going to take a quick break, uh, to hear from our sponsors, uh, and for us to do a quick dab here at the Hitman Coffee Shop. We've got a, uh, awesome, uh, compound collection piece from Hitman right here, which uh, we're going to be hitting up in a second. Uh, I've also got some of uh, Hitman Farms' uh, delicious concentrate, uh, presidential OG live resin, uh, so we're going to be hitting up some of that, so that's pretty cool. Um, but uh, we're going to do that and we'll be right back with more from my guest this week, Mr. Kevin Booth.
0: You're listening to Blazin' with Bobby Black on Cannabis Radio.
3: the business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah.
0: Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient.
1: Alright, and we are back. This is your host, Bobby Black. Uh, We're having a very special edition of Blazin' coming to you live from the Hitman Coffee Shop on the Miracle Mile here in L.A., Uh, L.A.'s first cannabis coffee shop uh, run by Hitman. Uh, Pretty awesome spot. What do you think of this place, Kev?
2: I'm blown away. I can't believe Dougie. Like, I mean, damn. I mean, one second the guy's like selling pipes, next thing he's like owns like a freaking art gallery. This is like crazy. <laughs> I'm in the wrong business. What the hell? Yeah, this is crazy, yeah. The guy's doing great. It's amazing. I'm blown away. Yeah.
1: So, so my guest who who you're hearing right now is uh, Mr. Kevin Booth. He is a filmmaker who made American Drug War, American Drug War Two, uh, How We'd Won the West. Um, How We'd Won the West was uh, about centered around California and Los Angeles, was it not?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it was just kind of like a snapshot of what was going on at the time. You know, of course, you know, the story of California is that, like, it's almost getting ready to change, it's almost getting ready to change, and it was one of those chapters around 2009 where it was almost getting ready to change, and, and uh, um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it was cool, and I was, was able to kind of dip back into the Alex Jones well on, thing, on that thing. And, uh, quick story, Alex Jones was originally involved in the first American drug war, and, uh, he and I had worked on some other movies before that, uh, uh um. Martial Law And American Dictators And I decided I was Going to go solo (laughs) Uh, And and American Drug Wars Was going to be My first solo project But I decided to bring Alex back into the fold For uh, how we'd won the West Because I thought it would kind of Mix it up a little bit You know Yeah
1: That's a perfect segue Because I was going to Head into some Alex Jones territory next You know, because uh, aside from the weed stuff, and Alex Jones was in "How Weed Won the West," but uh, he also you've done uh, some other conspiracy uh, type uh, film stuff with him. Um, How did you meet Alex Jones, and how did that how did that collaboration and friendship come about?
2: Well, at the time, once again, I I was working up at Austin Access uh, in in Channel Ten in Austin, Texas. It was amazing; like probably one of the best access channels uh, in the nation. And in, and in Austin, what made it so great was that because it's Channel 10, anybody that gets a basic cable subscription gets Austin Access, unlike L.A. where, like, I, you know, it's like Channel 5,300. You know what I mean? No one knows. I don't, I don't know what it is, right? <laughs> but in in Austin, like, it was huge, right? Everybody watched it. It was great. So, I mean, I could make a music video, and 300,000 people are watching it the next night. So, you know, back then, this before the Internet. It was an incredible outlet, you yeah. know? And And so it became, like, my, you know, my home base up there, and so it, it. Alex discovered it, too. He was just getting out of high school, and I remember it was right before Bill died, and Bill and I were working on the Sacred Cow Halloween special, and, and we are working on some other shows, including doing this uh, stuff about Waco, and suddenly there was this new young guy on there who was just sitting in front of a star map talking about the New World Order, and, and like he didn't really, like, we couldn't really figure out, like, who he was or what it was, but he had a certain kind of magnetic thing about him, and and uh, and then it wasn't long after Bill died that I kept running into Alex all the time, just in the snack room at, at Austin Access, talking about Bill, talking about everything that happened. And, and Bill, Alex got involved with uh, the Branch Davidians after the the government burned down the compound, and that was part of it. Like Alex, I mean, Bill turned that whole bit into the thing about how the government started the fire and the whole thing because yeah. Bill and I snuck past the uh, DPS checkpoint during the siege, and we actually got close to the compound, you know, where all the, the, the media was during during the actual siege, when wow. they are all still in there and, you know, help us, you know, the whole thing.
3: Wow. Hello, this is uh, Bill and Kevin outside the uh, Branch Davidia, uh, Camp Carmel, uh, branch of the Latter-Day, Seven-Day Adventist Church break-off group. It's been
2: now, today is day seven. It could be uh, the end. The end is nigh. And so, cut to a couple months later, and now I'm getting to like actually meet the people that survived the thing through Alex, and Alex actually raised the money to rebuild the church. And so I started off with Alex, with us just going to Waco a whole bunch to, to interview all the survivors. So did Alex and Bill know each other? Did they met one time, and that's you know there's a big conspiracy floating yeah. around the internet about <laughs> that. I I, uh, I turned Bill that uh, Bill never really died. He turned it to Alex and all that. Yeah. So. And I've told people it's not going to make any difference. There's some people out there that are just going to take this and edit this into a new YouTube video tomorrow. That's cool. And I'm flattered on some weird level, I guess. Um, But uh, I actually did see the two men in a room together at one time. They met, and, and, and Bill actually watched some Alex Jones shows at my house one time. Well,
1: people have seen Tony Clifton and Andy Kaufman in the same room yeah, before, too. <laughs> I don't have to say. You know, yeah. uh, it, it's funny. You know, uh, that's obviously one of my questions. One of the things I wanted to get to, because, like you said, it's just it's been all over the internet for so long. It's been this this crazy conspiracy theory that Bill Hicks faked his death and turned himself into Alex Jones. And I will admit that, that there is a little bit of a similarity there. There's a bit of a, a facial similarity. There's even a bit, maybe, of a voice similarity. But that's probably more of a regional thing. But I mean, it just seems so absurd to me that, I mean, people have devoted some real serious effort and time into this, and it just seems so silly to me, like, why would Bill give up this incredibly promising comedy career, and his whole identity as a human being, to become this ranting, right-wing character, like, I get the Andy Kaufman-esque, you know, inside joke of it, but for the rest of your life, like, wouldn't you do that for a year or two, like, Joaquin Phoenix, and then go back to being Bill Hicks <laughs> I, mean, I was actually thinking
2: about doing a documentary about it although I know that it would really piss off all the Hicks fans and the, and the very topic of it just you know the Hicks fans are a very prickly bunch uh, um, and you know I remember when I first started working with Alex I i would actually tell people because people were always having to remind me that Alex is no Bill Hicks I was like I get it you know and I, Bill was a comedian Alex is a crazy conspiracy guy uh, I get it I, you know I'm there um, but uh it's it's just, it's weird, it's, it's almost, because it reminds me a lot of the stuff with my brother, my brother was schizophrenic and he used to think people, he used to think he was other people and other people were other people and it's it, it's, it, it's almost, it's almost like a like some mental illness, <laughs> some spreading mental illness or something that, because that, at one time, like, Alex and I like when, when, when somebody first made a video about it and Alex and I cracked up seeing it, so we we were kind of like joking about it. And then from there is when it really like spun off and a bunch of people picked up on it. And, and so for me, it's always been a little bit of a social experiment of like, if we just start off just some crazy little conspiracy, let's just see how big it can get without even trying.
0: It's, a, it's an online thing that I'm Bill Hicks. And it's, it, it's, it's comical to us, but also painful to the Hicks family. So we shouldn't, shouldn't joke about it. But uh,
2: what is the new wrinkle in the uh, I'm Bill Hicks saga? Uh, okay. Well, the, the, this guy took our last interview and he claims that we're doing damage control now for him discovering that you're really Bill Hicks. And he took our last interview and he plays parts of it backwards, and so it's like a backmasking thing. And, and so when you play our last interview backwards, we're really like admitting all these secret truths about who we really are. Yeah, I was wondering if uh, I was wondering if maybe secretly you got
1: a kick out of feeding the the rumor. Yeah, it's
2: a little fun. Yeah, just to see how many crazy people will go with it. Sure.
1: There's a, there's a line in the book, right at the very end, where you say after the funeral that. You got in the car, and Bill was there, and, and he said, "I did it. I pulled it off, or something." I was doing a lot of drugs. But yes, <laughs> and I, that, that's one—that's the thing that people keep pointing to. That what this yeah. one guy that no, writes? No, I know. I saw, yeah. It. yeah, yeah, And he's like, he funny. says
3: it right in the book. And it's like page four twenty-three, baby. Listen up. Kevin Booth left a funeral, and now this is the next paragraph. Listen up. I was driving the old brown blazer by setting Hospital near my house. I caught something out of my peripheral. I looked over and Bill had appeared sitting shotgun. He told me that he had done it, that he had pulled off the world's biggest joke. This is directly out of Kevin Booth's mouth. What more do you need, people?
1: Well, proof is proof. It's
3: just a line
1: in a
2: book. Like, yeah, you I could know. have easily made it up, you know I mean? Like. I love all the dental records where people, like, have, like, the, the, the <laughs> dental records and the eye things. Like, some, like, iris scanning. Like, like in other words, like, drawing a triangle on Alex's oh face. Oh, And God. they draw a triangle on Bill's face. You see? It's like, well, I can draw a triangle on anybody's <laughs> face. It's like, what are you proving?
1: <laughs> well... You know, Bill Hicks was Kevin's best friend, and he made films with him. And then, just as soon as Bill dies, Alex Jones becomes his best friend. Alex Jones starts making, and it's like, okay, like that's not proof of anything. I mean,
2: I don't know. And yeah, people are always asking me if I'm really with the CIA. It gets to the point where you're like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I am. I don't, if I am, I don't know. That's how good it is. Deep state. Right? Yeah. Your deep, deep state. Yeah, I'm uh, so deep that I don't know myself. Uh,
1: so, so uh, about about Alex. So, uh, you know, when I first became aware of Alex Jones, he seemed. He always had this persona going and stuff in his in his way about him, but he seemed uh, like I liked him, he seemed likable, and a lot of the stuff he was saying I kind of agreed with or I thought there was something too. And then it seems like as time has gone on, he's gotten more and more crazy, right. yeah. angry, off the deep end. And, uh, you know, as someone who knows him, I'm guessing, this is just my take, I'm guessing it's it's theater. I'm guessing that it's, it's a Glenn Beck kind of thing where he's just... You know, jacking those ratings up, firing his base up, and just doing it. And then when he gets off camera, he's probably like, uh, "Whatever," you know. Or like the way Stephen Colbert used to be—pretend to be a conservative when he was really a liberal. Um, I, you know, I, I know Alex probably wouldn't want you to blow his cover too much, anyway. <laughs> but like, what what is he like in person? Is he is he really like? Is he is he a nut or is he
2: like Al- Like when I first met Alex, I thought he was one of the funniest people I've ever met. And so I, the first video I ever made with Alex was called "Best of Alex Jones" because. He- he had all these hilarious videos like the time he confronted George Bush before he was even governor and and, the, and like the uh, Texas sheriffs picked him up and drove him out to the country and dropped him off like a stray dog just so he couldn't get back to the George Bush thing in time to like fucking George Bush anymore. Sir, shouldn't we abolish the Federal Reserve and the
0: CFR? That's the real reality that none of you will talk about and most of you are members. That's
2: what's destroying this country, governor. Don't you stand for America, sir? I mean, it's that you can't make stuff like that up. It was like, the guy's, like, killing me. It was, like, performance artists, and I thought, like, I was always trying to convince Alex, like, you know, I know you're famous on this track right now, but if you just, like, have a sense of humor about it, you could just be huge. You could be huge, and, you know, I don't know. He, he's decided to go to, he, he's fighting for the revolution, you know what I mean? So, you know, it's it's like that thing. And but you think he Apparently, it? Apparently, like, Christians with guns spend more money on, on vitamins and, and uh... And uh, DVDs than <laughs> people who are not Christians without guns. I don't know. I don't know
1: but do you think he drank? You think he drank his own Kool Aid? Do You think he's he believes it or he's just uh, or he's just? He, uh,
2: look, he, he believes in what he's saying, but you yeah. know, again, he you know he has to fill five hours of uh, of space every day, right? So when you're having to like tell people the world was coming to an end uh, five days a week. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you, know, you gotta, work for it. You know, you gotta have to fill that time. Oh man! But uh, but he, but it's not to say because you know he just went through this whole like really horrible divorce and um and and my wife and I were actually good friends with his, his ex wife Violet too. We've seen this story from all angles, and so they, you know, Stephen Colbert started imitating him because the thing got out. <laughs> where that, Alex's yeah. lawyers were saying he was a performance artist, and none of this was real. But that's that's not true. I mean, Al- Alex. Alex believes in what he's saying, but at the end of the day, I guess why I could be friends with him is that he has a sense of humor about himself. That's important. and He's the kind of guy where he can could, he could sit there and, and go for five hours like you see on the radio, and then at the end of the night you go out and get drunk and, and like, have a great time. And He's, you know, he's just like a really funny guy to hang out with. Yeah,
1: I, I saw a little bit about his divorce in the news, and I, it was—it came out that they—they they said that he was smoking weed. That he was like uh, into he weed. He tries or it once in a while.
2: Yeah, I mean, they—they they, they were throwing anything they could at it. I him, thought maybe he was a, a pot secret server. pothead. no. no, no. <laughs> he drinks, but he's not a secret pothead. No.
1: Yeah. Well, getting back to uh, getting back to the pot issue, uh, you mentioned uh, before the tapes were rolling, you were telling me uh, that you had some new projects in the works. Uh, I'm assuming something to do with how Sacred Cow is morphing into this new company. Tell me something about some of the new projects you have in the works.
2: Uh, Well, one of them is uh, Weed Court. And this is like a show I've, you know, been pitching since 2011. And, you know, pitched it and some various people kind of took it and ran with it and, and started a different show that and it didn't really come out the way that it was ever supposed to. And so we're, <coughs> we're going to be starting like the, the official weed court show. that, And it was meant to be with a real judge. Um, not a stone judge, but a real judge. And the cases are going to be marijuana cases. And so one thing i like to put out to your audience is that if there's anybody out there that has a, a dispute, a real dispute, and, and these are all small claims disputes that involve marijuana, maybe you consign some pot to a dispensary... Maybe you bought something, you know, whatever it is, right? Um, bring it to us, contact us, because we're looking for plaintiffs and, and, uh, and defendants uh, to get this thing rolling. And Judge Jim Gray is going to be the judge on this thing. And it's going to be done like a, like a real courtroom show, and one of our agents behind this thing is actually the, the, the guy who discovered and created Judge Judy.
1: Wow, that's awesome! And Jim Gray, I know, is uh, has such a great reputation in the in the community. Yeah, he's uh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was also wasn't he? Uh, he ran. He was the vice presidential running mate with uh, for a while with Gary, Gary Johnson. Johnson. Yeah, yeah. This
2: last thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And the, you know, and he's on the board of directors of Cannabis Sativa, sure, publicly traded company. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so and then the other thing is is like, uh, there's. I'm starting a new company called Tanea Acquisitions. And it's going to be rolling out. It's actually going to be a publicly traded company. And um, it's going to start off as a media company, and then we're going to basically start acquiring cannabis businesses, or we're going to get into like more of the pharmaceutical end of this thing.
1: Okay, cool. Uh, so let me ask you: uh, You're a very politically aware guy, obviously. What is your take on the administration, the current administration, and where you think things might be going? Obviously, Sessions, you know, has doesn't bode well for the cannabis community. Uh, Spicer has made some vague, uh, you know, comments about cracking down on a fe- on a federal level towards the cannabis uh, industry, medical and recreational. Um, what, what do you think? A lot of other people on the other side think, well, Trump's primarily a businessman, and if there's money being made and, and businesses behind it, he's probably going to let it develop. What do, what do you think?
2: Well, I think he is kind of a states' rights guy, you know, but, like, I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to think. So um, I do know with our new company we're going we're gonna to play it safe, and that is, like, the, the publicly traded aspect of this company is going to stay in the media realm, and, you know, we're going to be careful about the actual product I do think that I think the future for medical right now is definitely a lot safer than the future than the future of recreational I myself never had trouble getting marijuana (laughs) so I don't you know I understand medical recreational like who cares (laughs) like there's pot there's so much pot out there and I know there's a lot of black market too but um I don't know I I like to think that they've got plenty of other things to worry about but you know I I I have no crystal ball over these people's brains
1: yeah so, so for your new projects, are do you have uh, do you have uh, you going to shop you going to make them and shop them around? Do you already have a deal in place of where it's going to be released?
2: Um, we're going to be making them and shopping them. We have like some big agencies and management behind us, and, and you know so we're going to be looking for, for mainstream things. And so you know we're we're looking at you know we're going to be creating marijuana brands that we can sometimes feature in some of our shows. But we're you know we're looking at getting shows more into kind of Netflix, Showtime, HBO, like kind of like the more big mainstream thing.
1: Cool. Awesome. Well, I will definitely be keeping my eye out for that. Uh, You'll have to let me know because I want to uh, definitely want to check out your new projects.
2: I'm also doing a a deal with George Young, too, who just got out of prison. Oh,
1: right. Yeah, yeah. uh, He was, you know, uh,
2: Johnny Depp played him in the movie Blow, and and George just got out of prison for the 100th time. Yeah. uh, He's been on the
1: show before. We've had him on on Blazing before. Yeah.
2: Cool. So we're going to be, you know, helping him with a podcast and also, like, uh, hopefully some sort of a drug war show.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely want to check that out. Uh, well, Kevin, thanks so much for taking time and talk to us. Where can people find you online to check out your projects and and all that stuff? Social media, online website. Anything? Oh my
2: God! Just just Google my name. I have so many <laughs> screwed up websites. I have like 20, 20 <laughs> screwed up websites right now. But you know, the, the new company is going to be called Tanea Acquisitions. Uh, but of course, I have Sacrical americandrugwar.com, com, com, uh, com, and just. But I, you know, Facebook is a good way. If you want to just talk to me? Find me on Facebook or Twitter.
1: Cool, cool. Well, you, I'm going to post links to all of uh, Kevin's websites and stuff on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash blazing with Bobby Black. Kevin, thanks once again for sure. joining us. It's been really fun seeing you again and uh, catching up and learning about all your, uh, your fun projects and stuff. Thanks so
2: much for having me, man. It's all great. right, man. All right.
1: All right, and that's going to wrap it up for this edition of Blazin', coming to you live from the Hitman Coffee Shop in L.A. I want to thank Dougie and the Hitman crew and Fabian and everybody here, Mike, for uh, letting us uh, set up in here today and and do our recording. It was a lot of fun. I want to thank our sponsors, 420 Science, the most trusted head shop on the net. Check them out at 420science.com. I want to thank my buddy Josh for coming out and working camera duty to get you guys this killer video. Please be sure to follow me on social media, Twitter at Bobby Black, Facebook and Instagram at BobbyBlack420. And please subscribe to my new YouTube channel. Until next week, this is Bobby Black saying, blaze on and peace all.